Walk a mile, walk, walk a mile in your neighbor's shoes. You will You'll understand them better if you do. That's living out the gospel. Texts I read this morning are very important texts in the New Testament that are oftentimes overlooked. Philemon is one of the shortest little letters that we have in the New Testament, one chapter, written by the Apostle Paul to a man named Philemon who was apparently a wealthy man and a slave owner, who had a slave named Onesimus who ran away, uh, whom Paul encountered while he was in prison in Ephesus. Onesimus lived back with Philemon in Colossae, just 100 miles away or so. And so this is the letter that uh, the apostle writes to Philemon. On your page 215, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and co-worker, to Aphelia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. When I remember you in my prayers, I always thank my God because I hear of your love for all the saints and your faith toward the Lord Jesus. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective when you perceive all the good that we may do for Christ. I have indeed received much joy and encouragement from your love 
because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, my brother. For this reason, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do your duty, yet I would rather appeal to you on the basis of love. And I, Paul, do this as an old man, and now also as a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I'm appealing to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I have become during my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful both to you and to me. I'm sending him, that is, my own heart, back to you. I want to keep him with me. I wanted to do that so that he might be of service to me in your place during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your good deed might be voluntary and not something forced. Perhaps this is the reason he was separated from you for a while, so that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. Especially to me, how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. So if you consider me your partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. I say nothing about your owing me, even your own self. Yes, brother, let me have this benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I am writing to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. One thing more. Prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping through your prayers to be restored to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demos, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And Peter's letter to the church in central Turkey, not far from Colossae, are from Ephesus. Chapter 2, 1 Peter, I begin reading at verse 13. For the Lord's sake, accept the authority of every human institution, whether of the emperor as supreme or of governors as sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to praise those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing right you should silence the ignorance of the foolish. As servants of God, live as free people. Yet do not use your freedom as a pretext for evil. Honor everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Slaves, accept the authority of your masters with all deference, not only those who are kind and gentle, but also those who are harsh. For it is a credit to you if being aware of God, you endure pain while suffering unjustly. 
If you endure when you are beaten for doing wrong, what credit is that? But if you endure when you do right and suffer for it, you have God's approval. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten. But he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that freed from sins we might live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were going astray like sheep. But now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Now, Lord, the silence, the committees in our mind, the voices that can be so distracting, center our hearts in your love for us and our love for one another as we seek to live out what it means to be citizens of your kingdom in a very troubled, broken world. Teach us, we pray, in your name. Amen. Whenever I hear that word slave, there's something inside of me that trembles. I remember how costly that word and that concept has been for us as a nation and for the entire world. We still recognize that slavery is a major issue for our world. Time Magazine reported this week that there are over 48 million people in bondage in our world in many different nations, and that doesn't even begin to count, even in our own nation. We continue as Americans to reflect upon it to wonder how we got to this place, how that word could have cost us so much as a people. We remember the movie, 12 Years a Slave, the story of a father, a free black man in New England, captured and sold into slavery and all of his suffering. It won the Academy Award just a few years ago. It's a brilliant movie. Maybe you've been watching this week on three Channel networks, Alex Haley's roots being shown again, a story of, of suffering, of, of displacement, of marginalization, of people not counted as fully human persons. And all of this together reminds us that we as a nation continue to struggle with issues related to race and the economy. We struggle to make advances to move into the fulfillment of the American dream so powerfully articulated in the Declaration of Independence. We Presbyterians have 
we've been a part of American history from the very beginning. Long before the first meeting of the General Assembly in 1789, we were dealing with the issue of race and slavery. And if you've studied any American history at all, you know that it became such a divisive thing that by 1845, not only the, the church, but the nation was divided. And the issue was whether or not compromises could continue to be found by means of which we could live together as one people. And it was exceedingly difficult. One of the central questions, Mark Knoll of Yale University, formerly of Wheaton College, wrote a book called The Theological Crisis of the Civil War and and slavery. So one of the central crises was that the church was divided in how to read its own scripture. And there were preachers all over the country, north and south, blowing off steam about these issues, either against slavery or on behalf of slavery, as an institution in our society. One group primarily led by theologians in the South, but also convictions shared in the northern states as well, was that the mission of the church was a spiritual mission and that the church ought not to be bothered by what was going on in society. If there was slavery in society, the church had nothing to say. Its business was in the sanctuary, trying to get people ready for heaven, to get their souls saved, without much focus on the social conditions or the political conditions or economic conditions within which people lived. And so texts like we read this morning from 1 Peter especially, but there are others in Paul's 1 Corinthian letter, the Ephesian letter, the Timothy letter, the Titus letter, struggled with issues with which the world of the first century was, was struggling with, not unlike in our own time in the 19th century and up to this day, there were many who believed that the Bible, the authoritative word of God, simply justified, accepted, and encouraged the institution of slavery. Some were just born into slavery, and that was what was expected. And other theologians and pastors believe, wait a minute. We are followers of Jesus Christ. And we have to learn to read our scriptures of Old and New Testaments through the eyes of Christ's compassion and his commitment to justice and righteousness. And we believe that we can no longer justify slavery as an institution in our society based upon scripture, the word of God. Scripture must be allowed to interpret scripture. Scripture must be interpreted in its context and not be read legalistically. 
Most of you know that I was born into a world that was pre-integration where the basic constitutional doctrine was separate but equal. And so in my city where I grew up, we had separate school districts. African-Americans lived on their side of the town, as did the Mexicans. We whites had our side of town. Blacks went to the back of the bus. We didn't eat at the same table. Blacks traveling across the United States would have to search for Negro motels in that part of town. I lived on Route 66. And our town was filled with African Americans. But I would have never known one if it had not been for my dad's bakery business. He had employees who were African Americans and Mexicans and whites. And I'll never forget that January 1st. It was snowing outside. It was just the kind of day that I'd always wanted to lay on the couch in our living room and watch the Rose Bowl. I think it was 1954. But all of our employees, including the family, had to work together on that day to get the order out. My mom and dad cooked up this beautiful lunch for everyone. And when noontime came, everyone was invited to fill their plates, and we did. The blacks filled their plates, and then they went to a separate room to eat because blacks and whites don't eat together. I was so embarrassed. I was so grateful in that moment that my dad would not allow that separation to occur. He went into the other room and he brought every one of those African-American workers back into our room and to our table to eat together, to break bread together. And I thought to myself, you know, I know that my dad is a racist to the core. He feared blacks. But he also had this primal conviction about justice, about what is right. And he would not let the institutions or the legalization of separation, separate but equal, prevail in our own family business. So grateful for that. In the mid-19th century, when southern slave owners wanted to take their slaves into the new western territories to organize, to maintain the balance between slave and free states, Abraham Lincoln began to run for the presidency. And in 1861, the Civil War broke out when the southern states seceded over the issue of slavery in order to defend their view of the Bible and of the Constitution. 
And soon war broke out in 1861. And the same year, you may not be aware of this, the same year, most of the major mainline Protestant denominations divided into the Presbyterian Church in the North and the Presbyterian Church U.S. in the South. And the issue was slavery. And it has haunted us ever since. It took over a hundred years for us to have a reunion. In eight, 1983, and the most interesting thing about it was that the cause of the split in 1861 was barely discussed because we still could not deal with those fundamental issues of the human heart that divided us and still do to this day xenophobia, fear, racism, prejudice, not knowing how to live together in fellowship. This is why it is so very important that we read these texts in the Bible. It's why we, we need to struggle with the central message of the Scriptures. What do the Scriptures say? And I want to summarize for you this morning what I think the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelation is saying. And what they say is that from the beginning, God created all people in his own image and gave to them a stewardship responsibility to build the world, to do justice and righteousness, to walk in faithful relationship with one another. But by the time we get to chapter 3, we've read the story of the fall of men and Adam and Eve are driven from the garden away from the tree of life to live east of Eden and what became characteristic of their life then human life was violence, racism, separation, division, struggles of death, warfare. God still did not give up. He spoke to a man named Abraham, called him out of Ur the Chaldees made promises to he and his wife, Abram and Sarah, that he would bless them and through them bless all the nations of the earth. And indeed he, he did, and until at last, Jacob and his family, part of the patriarchs and the matriarchs of Abraham's family, found it necessary to take the family to Egypt in order to survive because there was food there. And then a Pharaoh arose who did not know Joseph. And he perceived the stranger Jews as a national security risk. And so Egypt enslaved Israel and put them to work on the public work projects. And the people cried out to heaven, where are your promises, O God, to our fathers and mothers? Why have you led us into this situation where we are enslaved, where we are being destroyed? And, and Exodus tells us that God in heaven heard the cries of his people. He saw through the eyes of his compassion. He remembered the promises he made. He sent Moses down to Egypt to say to Pharaoh, let my people go. And finally, at long last, 
Israel was let go and walked through the Red Sea toward the freedom of the promised land. But as they left Egypt, they found that the movement toward freedom was a very difficult thing, and they carried anxiety. They carried the mindset of slaves with them into the freedom of the promised land. And finally, they became established and were to dwell in Canaan as a people who were a light to the nations of what it meant to live in justice and righteousness, to value the poor, the broken, the enslaved, to make a difference in the world, to witness to the whole world, to all the nations, what does the Lord your God require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God. And finally, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, in order to set us free from our bondage to self-justification through obedience to the law. He set us free. He set humanity free to live by the grace of God. And when Jesus began his public ministry, he read the text from Isaiah the prophet, chapter 61. And he said to his hometown friends where he had grown up in the synagogue, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. But the release of captives the recovery of sight to the blind, to declare the acceptable year of the Lord, the year of jubilee, every 50th year in which slaves were to be released, property restored, and debts canceled. And they got the message, that hometown community, and did not like it because it meant the transformation of their whole society. And by the time we get to Holy Week, we are with Jesus and his disciples in the upper room. And they're preparing the Passover meal. And while they are doing this, Jesus takes a basin of water and a towel, and he began to wash his disciples' feet to do the work of a common household slave. And he came to Peter. And Peter asked him, are you going to wash my feet? You're never going to wash my feet. That's not right. Peter knew where he belonged. And Jesus said to him, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. Peter got the point. Then wash my whole body. Give me a bath. I want to belong to you. And Jesus said to all the disciples, Do you understand that I, your master and your teacher, do you understand what I have just done? You also must wash one another's feet. Bow yourself in humility. Be servants to one another. Because this is the kind of people that I'm calling forth into the world. And the New Testament tells us that on Golgotha, Jesus met his destiny. 
And it was there on the cross that God made peace and reconciled humanity to himself and us to one another, breaking down dividing walls of hostility, the dividing walls of Jew and Gentile, the dividing walls of slave and free, the dividing walls of male and female, of rich and poor, and through faith adopted that believing community into one new humanity, reconciled at the cross by the power of God's love revealed in his Son, Jesus the Christ. And before long in that first century world, through the work of the apostles and others, little Christian communities sprang up, mainly in the houses where there were slaves and masters. And the church faced the central theological crisis of its early life. How is it that we have people who are so different, who have been divided into these separate camps, can become one people in worship and fellowship and service? We can't even eat together at the same table. One group is kosher and the other eats anything. And some are bonded slaves. And Lord knows, women ought to stay in the kitchen and in the bedroom and never speak a word in the church. I mean, these were just symbolic issues that went to the depths of what it meant for us to be human. I've had to learn so much about this issue, and I've been drawn to it. Remember when our presbytery established the partnership with the presbytery in East Africa and Kenya? And I was a part of that delegation, as some of you were. Three churches joined together. There were about 15 or 16 of us. And we went to Kenya, and we negotiated a partnership there. The Saturday night before I preached at the Kenyan church, Kay and I stayed in the pastor's manse. And the whole black congregation came in, and we were the only whites in the room. And we were out in the middle of nowhere. And I was scared to death. After dinner, the whole congregation, it must have been 50 at least, gathered in the, in the living room, and they wanted to talk to us and ask us questions. And one of the things they said about Kenna was that, look, it's hard to remember your names. All you whites look alike. <laughs> then they wanted to know everything from why we didn't have more children to what life in America was like. And we were no electricity, just a, a lantern after a meal. And even the women were allowed to come into the room. And I felt that anxiety. There I was, a minority in a world of Christians 
who happened to be black and poor, and we were establishing a partnership, a fellowship, a koinonia. When we first got there, we went on retreat with representatives of those churches. We were in a retreat center, and we had another meal together. And Pastor Joseph Atiri pastored a little church that was like, that had a tin roof on it, and it was open on both sides. It was filled with people who were very, very poor. He was the moderator of the presbytery. I was there, big macho from the Presbyterian Church of America. And Joseph spoke to our group. He said, I'd like for you all to look to the ceiling of this retreat center. We lifted up our eyes, and from the roof was hanging a cross, a wooden cross. And he said to us, it's only because of the blood of that cross that we can be together in this room. After all of our history of colonialism with the Brits, and after all that we know about American history and the struggle of the American church, we can only be together because we were reconciled in Christ at the cross through his blood, and that has made all the difference. He set us free. And once you get this kind of theology of the freedom-loving God who acted in history to deliver us, to rescue us from our bondage to the powers of sin and death, once you get this kind of gospel and spirit in your soul, it works for the transformation not only of your own inner life, it begins to change your way of thinking. You no longer think like a slave, but you see, as Paul was asking Philemon to see, that his runaway slave, while once my slave, now he's my brother. And he ain't heavy. He's my brother. Tradition says that Philemon released Onesimus of his own free will and that Onesimus finally became one of the early bishops of the church in Ephesus. What might God want to do with us and with this congregation if we could really get our hearts set free to be the freedom-loving people of the love of God who see one another beyond the surface color of our skin and the various cultures that we represent. What richness would come to us? What power of the Spirit would come to us? What healing presence this might bring to the life of our nation in this very troubled time. The gospel of the cross calls us to stand beneath the cross of Jesus and to there, there know and experience 
the power of the mighty God who has never let go, who is determined to make heaven and earth one, and I can assure you there will be no slaves or poor in heaven, but one people of every nation and race and language around the throne of God, worshiping the Lamb of God, the Lion of Judah, who has ransomed us with his own life. I invite you to stand and affirm your faith with me. Paul's Christ hymn from Philippians 2 that speaks about the challenge of having the mind of Christ and being transformed from the inside out that leads to the transformation of the world, we read responsively, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. You may be seated as we receive the morning offering.
Almighty God, like a father running to his wayward son, like a good shepherd searching for a lost lamb, like a woman looking for a lost coin, your love is rich beyond our deserving. You never forsake us, no matter how far we have moved from you. And we thank you for all your goodness and faithfulness, for setting us free in Christ Jesus and for the gifts that you have brought each one of us. We pray for our communities this morning and schools and workplaces. Help us to leave here today with a sense of purpose to be a light and witness of your love and freedom to our neighbors and coworkers and friends, reflecting your grace and mercy to others. Bless now this offering and free us up as your people that the offerings we bring may enable us to continue to grow your mission and ministry throughout our communities. For the sake of Jesus Christ, our Lord, the one who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Our closing song, Multiply Your Love Through Us, is found on your music insert, the words and the music. Multiply your love through us To the lost and the least Let us be your healing hand Instruments of peace. May our single purpose be to imitate your life through our simple words and deeds. Let love be multiplied. We'll sing verse two. Multiply your love through me to someone in Grace that I receive. Let my single purpose be to imitate your life through my simple words and deeds. Let love be multiplied. Why? Bless your kingdom come, Lord. Let us see.
ends of the earth where there's only barrenness let us see the earth use us as your coming Friday afternoon at 2 o'clock here in our sanctuary, there will be a memorial service for Bill Walker, the husband of Dorothy Smith Walker. Trust that you will be praying for Dorothy and her family, and um, if you can, be present with us here on Friday afternoon for these dear saints of God. Thank God. Bill is with the Lord in heaven above. And so the apostle reminds us, as many of you as have been baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. You've clothed yourself in Christ. Therefore, there is no longer Jew or Gentile. Slave or free. Male or female. Rich or poor. Educated and uneducated, you name it. The dividing walls of hostility have been opened up. And we have heard the great commandment, love one another as I have loved you. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. Go forth in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Oh,